Welcome to The Upshot. I'm Leah Rose. Today I'm talking to Gary Camilla, who is the co-founder of Salon.com and the executive editor of San Francisco Magazine. Gary's new story, The Outsiders, for the March issue of San Francisco Magazine, looks at homelessness in San Francisco, a 30-year-old problem that he says has been both chronic and humiliating. Homeless people have become signifiers of the city by the bay, along with the Golden Gate Bridge and cable cars. But as Gary points out, the number of people living on the street has remained steady in San Francisco and is actually a lot lower than other big cities around the U.S. The Outsiders examines how we often treat homeless people and what the city of San Francisco is doing to find innovative ways to provide resources to those who need it most. Here's my conversation with Gary. I was really struck with the enormity of this piece and just thinking about all the research, all the interviews, all the reading you must have done um, even before you started writing. So how did you just sit down and and put this all together? Well, uh, it was complicated. It was tricky. And I'm still not sure uh, even now that I have my arms completely around this subject. It's so big. There's so many facets to it. Um, and the statistics are kind of squishy and unreliable. We don't really even know exactly how many homeless people there are because there's disputes about the methodology. Um, we don't know how many come in to a given city. We don't know how many come into San Francisco or how many are created within uh, the city of San Francisco by people that just lose their homes as opposed to coming in from outside. But there's so many moving parts and so many variables, and then you also you just get so many different perspectives from all your sources that you talk to that it's uh, it's tricky to try to put it all together. And, of course, we have this, uh, this fact that the homeless population has not really changed. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, and that's actually a positive statistic, it, right? It could be. I mean, it's like everything else about this subject, that's in dis- it's in dispute whether it's positive or not. Um, the advocates and those that are critical of the city's uh, efforts and of just, you know, of what's happened are inclined to think that the fact that the 10 years after uh, Mayor, then Mayor Gavin Newsom announced a, his uh, ambitious 10-year plan to end chronic homelessness, not homelessness itself, uh, that our numbers are virtually unchanged. The last point in time count, which is this federally mandated count that takes place every two years um, and where uh, an army of volunteers and city workers hit the streets and they literally look for homeless people on the streets and count them up. And uh, and then they add in people that are in, in shelters and sleeping in cars and, and in jail and, and whatnot. And they come up with this figure and the figure they came up with was 6,436. You know, that's a key. Essentially, there's two elements uh, in, you know, the way we think about addressing homelessness now. And they're, e- they're equally important. You can't put one ahead of the other. And the first is rather obvious. It's tautological. It's housing. You know, the mantra is housing first. And actually, housing first means not shelter first. Uh, people have gone away. The thinking has gone away from just get a homeless person into this rudimentary shelter. Yeah, why do shelters not work? 
Well, one of the main reasons that shelters don't work is that shelters are essentially big dormitories. They're big rooms that have mattresses or bunk beds um, and sometimes just, you know, mats on the floor. And, you know, the truth is, is that many homeless people uh, suffer from a variety of, of serious afflictions. Uh, many of them are what are called dual diagnosed, which means that they have been diagnosed with uh, both mental illness and addiction. So, and of course, they use the addictions often a function of self-medicating. Many are triple diagnosed, which means they also have a physical ailment. They may have AIDS, and they may suffer from, you know, another, another uh, serious physical illness. And many are deeply alienated from society. Um, you know, as as uh, when I spoke to. Uh, David Elliott Lewis, the head of the San Francisco Mental Health Board, he pointed out that just being homeless is a mental health problem, is a mental health crisis. It's extremely stressful. It's, it's traumatic. It's extremely stressful and traumatic. It's, it's, uh, you can... And you're not sleeping or eating yeah, right. But the thing that's maybe more stressful even than the food is the sleeping. Right. Because you're sleeping on the street and it's noisy and it's uncomfortable sometimes. Many, many homeless people, you know, especially if they have alcohol problems or drug problems, they don't really even have adequate blankets or sleeping bags. And then there's violence. You know, you can be attacked. Um, you know, I've spoke, a lot of homeless people I spoke to said they've been attacked while they're sleeping. One guy said his tent was graffitied. <laughs> I mean, there's just a lot of weird things happen. How did you go about um, interviewing homeless people for the story? Were you comfortable just walking up to people who were on the street, or were people sort of vetted for you through people you knew? At no, I, I just I just walked up. I mean, I, there are a number of different ways. The, the people in North Beach, I was walking down to go to Trader Joe's one morning, and I'm walking along, and there's these three guys there. And I just came up and asked them if they'd be willing to be interviewed about being homeless. And I had my phone so I could record them. And I just talked to them on the street. Does uh, it feel but, at all strange to ask somebody just because it's sort of like you're assuming mm -hmm. they're homeless? What if they're not homeless? Yeah, well, that's, a, that's an interesting question because uh, it definitely there were a couple of cases where like one point I was walking up Columbus and I was talking to the uh, the lady I was walking with and I was like I was like I think that guy's homeless and you know he was like 50 feet away and and then we get a little closer and he goes oh, no uh, he's got a camera <laughs> yeah and a couple of interviews with homeless were set up I had a wonderfully long interview and I was only able to use about one quote from it with this really remarkable person named Ronnie Goodman who's an artist and does phenomenal art, actually. And uh, he was somebody who was interesting because he is still homeless. He sleeps on the freeway under the James Lick Freeway around. Oh, is the he Best the one Bible. who was an ex drug addict and he yeah. didn't want to go? Yeah, he didn't want to go to the tenderloin. To the tenderloin because there was too much temptation to use. Right, too much temptation, and just you know, he he thought he would, he didn't want to be in that milieu. He'd been there too long. So and and also he was on the waiting list to go into senior housing, which might still be in the tenderloin, but it would be a much different demographic. It would be different people there. So he would he just didn't want to get thrown back into just like sort of a garden variety SRO in the tenderloin. And so he chose rather than do that to um, to remain on the streets, which was interesting. I thought that was really interesting, the point that you brought up in your story about how a lot of homeless services are located in neighborhoods like right. the Tenderloin, 
which maybe that's not the best idea because there is so much temptation oh, there. Oh, no, it's it's not. In many ways, it's a terrible. Uh, uh, and it's, at this point, it's not an idea. It's just it's just an unfortunate reality. It, it certainly has its upside. Um, and there's a reason that so many are there because they're serving the clients who are there. And so you have everything from the huge nonprofits like St. Anthony's and Glide, um, but you have the places where you where they can cash their checks, their SSI checks, um, or GA. They you have a whole most of the nonprofits that have shelters and and supportive housing are there. Just you know, and and then of course, there's dozens of liquor stores and there's hundreds of street hustlers who come in to prey on the homeless and then some of the some of the homeless are themselves uh you know criminals and uh, or and parolees and mentally ill and they're all smushed together in this very intense geographically constrained area really an unusual remarkable uh neighborhood almost in the world uh, if you look at world cities now there are very few places where right next to the heart of downtown and in the case of San Francisco, this means that you walk out of the Powell Street BART, which is, that's dead center. That's like the bullseye of San Francisco. You can't get any more central than the Powell Street BART. It's Powell and Market. It's two blocks from Union Square. And you walk out of there and you can walk to the, if you walk to the west, like half a block, you will, you can see some, you know, crazy stuff going on. And Super crazy. crazy. People. Super All crazy. the time. And it was much worse until just last uh, six months ago or so, what they call the Una block of Turk, the first block of Turk Street, which is the heart of the Tenderloin, Turk and between Mason and Taylor. That block, that was something out of a, you know, out of a Dennis Johnson novel. That first block, you would see dozens of men and women smoking crack yeah. right on that block. Out and, in the open. And what they did was now the cops and the city uh, uh, closed, park for, made it illegal to park there. And the problem is it's really difficult to know how uh, to break up that geographical concentration because of the housing stock. Right, because of the limited space. Limited space in the city and and the limited, uh, and the nature of the real estate. One of the key yeah. factors with San Francisco's attempt to address the homeless crisis is that obviously it's not affordable to build new units for every homeless person. Um, up to build a new unit in San Francisco costs like 150, 200,000 or more. And you know, so say you have 6,000 homeless people in the streets, you're talking like more than a billion dollars. San Francisco's annual budget is $7.9 billion. So you know, the city's not gonna peel off 12% of its budget right. to do that. But so what you need to do, what the city has done is they've housed them in SROs, in these single room occupancy rooms in these cheap hotels, mostly in the Tenderloin, some in the Mission, a few elsewhere. Um, and that's, a, that's more affordable because then you can do it 15,000 a year or something like that. But the problem is, uh, as Randy Shaw of the uh, Tenderloin Housing Clinic told me, you know, the supply is drying up. You know, we have many, many. We have, there's a finite number of spaces. There's, there's only so many up. SROs. Yeah. And, 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 then there's, and then there's only so many owners of those SROs who are willing to rent, uh, you know, to the city and to the nonprofits right. to, to serve this clientele. Because, to serve the poorest of the poor, so, then what about people who are, who are poor and who are working? Well, that's a whole other issue. Um, and that's one of the most interesting and, and 
tricky aspects from the city's point of view about allocation of resources to help the homeless is that obviously resources are finite, even though the city's, you know, flush with money right now. I was wondering, now that you know all of this information about what's going on with the city and all the, you have all these facts and numbers in your head, are you now more compassionate when you see people on the street? You know, I am. I think I just learned more about it. And I just, I mean, a lot of it's just having contact with homeless people and talking to them and getting to know their stories. And, um, you know, it's like any group that you don't fully get and that you, and that may appear sort of forbidding or unknown or, you know, just you don't have a, a real handle on. When you start to talk to them more, um, often you, you know, you just have a more of a sense that they're part of the community. You know, they're part of... Or that of, they're actually people. And they're people. And they're, they've they're, had lives. And absolutely. Lives. Why do you think San Francisco is so well known as a homeless haven? You said something about homeless yeah. people are now um, part of the city like the Golden Gate Bridge or cable cars. Yeah. But our numbers are... We have less homeless people well, than places like we, L.A. Yeah, and New York. Take Manhattan, for example. Um, you know, if anybody who's been to, to Manhattan... Um, most parts, especially anywhere downtown, you don't see anything like the homeless people that you do in San Francisco. And, you know, there's a variety of reasons for that. I mean, New York did have a much harder line policy, uh, and they still, I think, have a somewhat harder line policy on homeless than San Francisco. But some of it's weather, and some of it's, again, it's geography. The shelters in New York, which are, and New York has a right to, right to shelter law, which means that, that homeless have the right to be housed. We don't have that law here in, in San Francisco or in California. And, but the shelters are mostly located way up in the Bronx. And, um, and then if you think about something, it's, it's sort of some of it is the uniqueness of San Francisco downtown street culture, if you will. If you're a homeless person in San Francisco and you go down into the Tenderloin, you're not going to stand out. If, you're gonna, if you want to hang out down there and like try to score some dope or drink a malt liquor or do whatever on the street, you can do it. You know, you're not likely to get busted. Try doing that in Manhattan. You'll be gone in five minutes. <laughs> so, right. You point out that San Francisco was named after what you call a noble man who gave up everything he had when he saw a poor man on the street. Uh, how did that notion influence you while you were writing the story? Oh, well, St. Francis of Assisi, certainly one of the most inspiring of all Catholic saints, and San Francisco is named after him. And, uh, yeah, he was an, an adult when he had a revelation, when he saw, saw a poor man and he stopped and gave him all his clothes and all his money and essentially left his life of privilege and founded this uh, extraordinary mendicant order, the Franciscans, and, uh, you know, the brown-robed Franciscans who, uh, you know, or did great charitable deeds and acts. So, Did you yeah. ever at any point want to do that? Did you feel inspired to give things to the yeah, people? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 certainly, I certainly felt I wouldn't pretend that I ever, you know, had the, the saintly uh, uh, epiphany of, of a St. Francis. But absolutely, I mean, I think you can't uh, work on a story like this without feeling a lot of, um, of compassion, a lot of anguish sometimes, a lot of, uh, of sadness, and, but also a lot, of, uh, a lot of happiness at seeing people who are uh, succeeding. You know, I think at one point I call this room full of people at the downtown streets meeting, you know, down, downtrodden but undefeated. 
And, uh, you know, there's, it's more inspiring to see somebody who's gotten nothing and is doing something with their life than it is to see a middle-class person like me, you know, having some success in their job. Uh, it's, there's, there's entirely different order of magnitude. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely a, a story that uh, can, can touch your heart as, as well as your brain. Well, Gary, thank you so much for all your hard work, all your research. I really love the story. I learned a ton. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much. Appreciate you having me on the show. The Upshot is produced by Justin Richmond. Thank you to John Steinberg and San Francisco Magazine for sponsoring today's episode. And thank you again to Gary Camilla, who wrote The Outsiders. Tweet us at The Upshot P.O.D. Until next time, I'm Leah Rose for the upshot.